0: Finally, it seems that all is well. The promise has been fulfilled. Sarah has given birth to Isaac. She laughed at the idea that she would fall pregnant. And yet, it happened. And now she te- says, she takes that idea, and in verse 6, she turns in and says, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me but. Do you remember Ishmael? We last heard of Ishmael four weeks ago. Sarah's frustration, this is for those of you who weren't around, Sarah's frustration with God's promise of a child led her to say to her husband Abraham, go and have a child with my maidservant Hagar, which he did. He'd obviously become the perfect husband and did what his wife told him to do. Now we've heard in these verses of the birth of uh, Isaac. And we know from the dating in the earlier chapter and now this one, that Ishmael, the birth of Isaac, is 14 years old. don't know if you can remember being 14 years old, maybe we've got a a 14-year-old. For 14 years, Ishmael has been Abraham's only son, only child. Now imagine you're Ishmael, and here is Isaac, on the scene, the occasion of much laughter and rejoicing. How do you feel? Now what I'd like you to do, and I'll leave a moment of silence, is I'd like you to write some Bible. You've heard the story, you've just reread it, of Isaac's birth and Sarah's laughter. Now, you are the script writer for what is, let's admit it, the, pretty much the soap opera of Abraham's life. You write in your mind for a moment what should happen in the story of Ishmael. I'll leave a minute just to think that through. What should happen? might just say that your script editor in this is Jesus, who has a story that might be relevant. Let's hear from Alison now how it actually worked out. Please open your Bibles again at page 21. We're going to pick up the story at verse 8. Genesis 21,
1: verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba when the water in the skin was gone she put the boy under one of the bushes then she went off and sat down nearby about a bowshot away for she thought i cannot watch the boy die and as she sat there nearby she began to sob god heard the boy crying and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Thank you, Alison. Well, I'm guessing that few of us who hadn't already known the story would have taken it there. I'm not sure that's the script we'd have written. We might have thought to ourselves, well, we can tell from the the little bit we heard earlier that Isaac is the guy in the white hat, Isaac is the good guy, the guy who's going to come out on top. So Ishmael is going to have to be disregarded, spurned, even outraged. As of the moment when Isaac is born, Ishmael is history. And in a sense, that's exactly right. We say that to mean this person leaves the history. And yet, the truth is that Ishmael's place in history is assured by this very story. And that matters. It matters very much for who we are tomorrow. Because what is it after all that happens to Ishmael and to his mother Hagar? Do keep your Bibles open, by the way, this time. Ishmael is by now, because uh, it's three years on, that's when They conventionally had feasts for the weaning of a child. So Ishmael is 17 years old with a brat of a three-year-old for a younger brother. Isaac means he laughs. And the word in verse 9 here is a pun. It's a complaint by Sarah that Ishmael has been laughing at Isaac. Poor Abraham between Sarah and Hagar, between the devil and the deep blue sea. Sarah persuaded him to sleep with Hagar, and now she wants them both got rid of. Very well. Unsurprisingly, Abraham is distressed, and God speaks to him, and really effectively says to him, just chill. Do what she says, even if she is nagging. I have it in hand, and he shall be a nation too. Abraham sends them into the wilderness, knowing, I guess, that he would never see his son Ishmael again, or Hagar. And in the desert, she begins to sob. It's as bad as it's going to get. And then God hears the boy crying. The boy, not Hagar. No doubt he could have heard Hagar, too. No doubt, in one sense, he did. But the story wants us to know that the Lord God listened to Ishmael, which means God hearkens, God listens. He may be illegitimate. He may have to depend upon help from his mother even to stand up, according to the story. But he is listened to by God. And not just listened to, cared for. The well appears, the water is found, and they are saved. And he is promised. He too receives a promise that he shall become a nation and a great nation. It's the overflow of the promise to Abraham to be father of many nations. Later on in Genesis, we're told that Ishmael's people go on to populate the territory that runs all the way from Assyria in the northeast of the Middle East all the way around in a crescent through to the borders of Egypt. That now is Arab territory. And the Arabs claim Ishmael as their father. A great nation indeed. And we see the beginning of it here as Hagar... His mother finds a wife for him from Egypt, and it is, we assume, the beginning of that nation. He's listened to, cared for, promised, and finally he is graced. What are those songs we sing at Christmas? What's that banner that we put across the top? Emmanuel, God with us. We know that's what Emmanuel means. And you could probably give me a pretty good account of all that that means for you, for God to be truly with us. And yet, what do we read in verse 20 here? God was with the boy as he grew up, listened to, cared for, promised, graced. Is that the script that we would have written? I suspect not. I suspect that left to ourselves, we'd have seen Hagar and Ishmael in some other way excluded totally from all the good things that are going to be coming Isaac's way. Perhaps we wouldn't have been cruel to them. Perhaps we wouldn't have sent them into the desert. But the outcome would still have been decisive, one nil to Isaac. But what we've got is so much more subtle, so much more uncertain in a way. It's all open-ended. You can't guess by the end of verse 21 how this will conclude. And the truth, of course, is that you and I today, very much today, are living out this conclusion. Because here is the answer in these verses to Pastor Sap. Pastor Wayne Sap. For he it is who, with his church, put the Koran on trial and burned it, provoking the unrest that has seen 16 people killed in the last couple of days in Kandahar and Mazar-i-Sharif in Afghanistan. From the desert in Beersheba, where we read this story today, travel east to Baghdad and as far east again and you still not quite come to Kandahar or mazar i sharif Yet Ishmael's nation lives on, first in the Arabs and then in the Islamic traditions that come out of them in the 7th century. Dear Pastor Sapp, do you suppose that listened to, cared for, promised, graced, has died out? If you are so delighted that you have been chosen to be among the people of God and you should be delighted, are you in danger of making the wall so high around the people of God's choosing that all others are marked as forever outside his will and purpose, outside his delight? And if we say it to Pastor Sapp, can we say it more closely at home? when we held our recent Arab World Mission weekend. Uh, An email came to John Malcolm organizing it, criticizing us for basically being nice about Arabs. Yet this story reminds us that God can truly be with others. Not in the same way as he is with us, but working out the difference can sometimes be very challenging. The ways in which God is with Ishmael are also a help to us when we come to consider the place of the Jews. We often find that troubling, uneasy. And we have to say then the Jews occupy a a peculiar territory of their own. But not if this is true. This story tells us that the Jews are not alone. It is a great thing to be a child of grace, as St. Paul will tell us but God's love for all others, Jews and Arabs. And therefore, if it's for two people, it has to be for all. That love is strong and attentive and gracious. And that's what I meant when I said at the start that this affects tomorrow and who we are tomorrow, who we meet tomorrow. We may well not, in Norwich, meet many Arabs or even Jews. Some of us will, but not many. And the first point to bring out of this passage is that we do not go into the world tomorrow as into a place where God is not with us sort of bringing him with us. When we decide whether and how to speak of God to those we meet tomorrow, we're not to say to ourselves, well, I might speak or I might not. It doesn't really matter. Rather, we are speaking to those who, whether they know it, are already precious in God's sight. God is watching to discover whether, as others are in the desert, we will do his work as his children. Will we, as in verse 19 here, open their eyes? Will we give them water? I fear that often enough we see others in two categories. Well, they're nice enough, you know, and normal People like us. And then we think of them as those who couldn't understand, who aren't quite worth the sweat of working up that big conversation. But the truth is, they are precious and loved and heard, like you and like me. So, what then is really the difference between Ishmael and Isaac? Is it simply random? One ended up in the desert, one ended up in the fertile plains, one ended up poor, one ended up rich. No. That's the second point to come out of this passage. There is a real difference. And the difference tells us how to live today. How to lift our voices and our hands in praise to the God of Abraham. Because Isaac means he laughs. St. Paul understood that. And we'll go to St. Paul in a couple of weeks. It might be next week. When we summarize where we've got to by seeing what Paul does with it all. Ishmael stands, and can stand still, for all that we plan and purpose. He is born when Sarah tries to force God's hand. The promise isn't coming to pass, so take Hagar, my slave, my maid. He, according to our story today, he is married at the behest of his mother, outside the promise. She finds him a wife in Egypt. Now, I said that the script editor is Jesus, Who has a relevant story? He tells the story we know of a brother who stayed home and was dutiful, who made his plans, executed his purposes, was a good boy. But to live in the world of planning and competence is a challenge. We're forced to recognize, and it's crushing, that we can never plan enough, we are never enough in control. We always have to feel separated from the source of love and goodness because we know in some deep place that we can never quite earn it. It's no surprise to learn, as I have not known until we had the Arab world mission, that for all the work that most of the Arab world, if they're Islamic, puts into the relationship with God, the final outcome is uncertain. That's what happens with that kind of religion. And that it should be so is not outside God's intention. He wants us confronted with a model in which even though God may hear and God may listen, it is not enough. But Isaac means he laughs. Isaac is gift, all gift. Isaac is wonder, all wonder. Everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Sarah says, Isaac is the son unlooked for, much like the son found when he was lost, alive when he was dead. Isaac is the son running down the road, the son you thought you'd never see again. Tears and laughter and wonder, because this isn't the way it was expected to end. This isn't the way the script was supposed to run. Isaac means he laughs, and that's you and that's me. God forgive us when we behave as Ishmaels, as though the life we celebrate were from our planning and our determining and our intention. There's a note on your green sheet this week about the potential dropping of religious education from the new English baccalaureate. I'll sign that petition. We must do what we can. But I so dislike it when I hear stories of religious education lessons on rituals, rituals, and all faiths are treated alike. Or on ministers and symbols, and all faiths are treated alike. Because sadly, you can do that with the Christian faith. You can lump it in with all the others. You can look at our planning and our intentions and our buildings and our dog collars and our, and the whole lo- lot, and it can look like we are Ishmael people, constructs of our own control and competence, but we are not, because Isaac means He laughs. Faith in Jesus Christ is faith in the Son, unlooked for. Faith in the Son, a wonder, a gift. And so I simply have this to ask in the second point as we finish. Do you laugh? Can you sing, breathe on me breath of God as we shall in a minute, and laugh? Can you look back on your life and say, this is amazing that I, even I, should be so unlooked for the child of God? That I so ordinary should be a wonder and a gift. I fear we're held back from that recognition, from that laughter, by a simple sense of responsibility, that if we, if we lived with it, if we acknowledged it, if that was how we were deep inside, then we cannot but overflow, just as laughter cannot be held in. If we are a gift, then in the process we are made a gift, And to whom finally is Isaac a gift? The answer is to Ishmael. We are in those times when the name of Jesus, all gift, all wonder, God with us, is to be on our lips as the offering to a world that will accept any amount of religion as planning and competence and control and determination. But we're supposed to be there as those who have news that we are freed from all of that, as those who actually couldn't care less whether we're in a religious education uh, curriculum or not. Actually, there's a part of me that says it does matter, so I will sign it. But part of me thinks it shouldn't matter. Because life may be grim, but it is our life, eternal life, and it is gift, So whatever else we do today, whatever else we are today and tomorrow, and the days that come after, let us laugh. Let's close with a prayer, but please stand to sing it. Breathe on me, breath of God. Finally, it seems that all is well. The promise has been fulfilled. Sarah has given birth to Isaac. She laughed at the idea that she would fall pregnant. And yet, it happened. And now she says, she takes that idea, and in verse 6, she turns it and says, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. But, do you remember Ishmael? We last heard of Ishmael four weeks ago. Sarah's frustration, this is for those of you who weren't around, Sarah's frustration with God's promise of a child led her to say to her husband Abraham, go and have a child with my maidservant Hagar, which he did. He'd obviously become the perfect husband and did what his wife told him to do. Now, we've heard of the, in these verses of the birth of uh, Isaac. And we know from the dating in the earlier chapter, and now this one, that Ishmael, the birth of Isaac, is 14 years old. I don't know if you can remember being 14 years old. Maybe we've got a 14-year-old. For 14 years, Ishmael has been Abraham's only son, only child. Now, imagine you're Ishmael. And here is Isaac on the scene, the occasion of much laughter and rejoicing. How do you feel? Now, what I'd like you to do, and I'll leave a moment of silence, is I'd like you to write some Bible. You've heard the story, you've just reread it, of Isaac's birth and Sarah's laughter. Now, you are the script writer for what is, let's admit it, pretty much the soap opera, of Abraham's life. You write in your mind for a moment what should happen in the story of Ishmael. I'll leave a minute just to think that through. What should happen? might just say that your script editor in this is Jesus, who has a story that might be relevant. Let's hear from Alison now how it actually worked out. Please open your Bibles again at page 21. We're going to pick up the story at verse 8. Genesis
1: 21, verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba when the water in the skin was gone she put the boy under one of the bushes then she went off and sat down nearby about a bowshot away for she thought i cannot watch the boy die and as she sat there nearby she began to sob god heard the boy crying and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Thank you, Alison. Well, I'm guessing that few of us who hadn't already known the story would have taken it there. I'm not sure that's the script we'd have written. We might have thought to ourselves, well, we can tell from the the little bit we heard earlier that Isaac is the guy in the white hat, Isaac is the good guy, the guy who's going to come out on top. So Ishmael is going to have to be disregarded, spurned, even outraged. As of the moment when Isaac is born, Ishmael is history. And in a sense, that's exactly right. We say that to mean this person leaves the history, and yet the truth is that Ishmael's place in history is assured by this very story. And that matters. It matters very much for who we are tomorrow. Because what is it after all that happens to Ishmael and to his mother Hagar? Do keep your Bibles open, by the way, this time. Ishmael is by now, because uh, it's three years on, that's when They they conventionally had feasts for the the weaning of a child. So Ishmael is is 17 years old with uh, a brat of a three-year-old for a younger brother. Isaac means he laughs. And the word in verse 9 here is a pun. It's a complaint by Sarah that Ishmael has been laughing at Isaac. Poor Abraham. Between Sarah and Hagar, between the devil and the deep blue sea. Sarah persuaded him to sleep with Hagar, and now she wants them both got rid of. Very well. Unsurprisingly, Abraham is distressed, and God speaks to him, and really effectively says to him, just chill. Do what she says, even if she is nagging. I have it in hand, and he shall be a nation too. Abraham sends them into the wilderness, knowing, I guess, that he would never see his son Ishmael again, or Hagar. And in the desert, she begins to sob. It's as bad as it's going to get. And then God hears the boy crying. The boy, not Hagar. No doubt he could have heard Hagar, too. No doubt, in one sense, he did. But the story wants us to know that the Lord God listened to Ishmael, which means God hearkens, God listens. He may be illegitimate. He may have to depend upon help from his mother even to stand up, according to the story. But he is listened to by God. And not just listened to, cared for. The well appears, the water is found, and they are saved. And he is promised. He too receives a promise that he shall become a nation and a great nation. It's the overflow of the promise to Abraham to be father of many nations Later on in Genesis, we're told that Ishmael's people go on to populate the territory that runs all the way from Assyria in the northeast of the Middle East all the way around in a crescent through to the borders of Egypt. That now is Arab territory. And the Arabs claim Ishmael as their father. A great nation indeed. And we see the beginning of it here as Hagar... His mother finds a wife for him from Egypt, and it is, we assume, the beginning of that nation. He's listened to, cared for, promised, and finally he is graced. What are those songs we sing at Christmas? What's that banner that we put across the top? Emmanuel, God with us. We know that's what Emmanuel means. And you could probably give me a pretty good account of all that that means for you, for God to be truly with us. And yet, what do we read in verse 20 here? God was with the boy as he grew up, listened to, cared for, promised, graced. Is that the script that we would have written? I suspect not. I suspect that left to ourselves, we'd have seen Hagar and Ishmael in some other way excluded totally from all the good things that are going to be coming Isaac's way. Perhaps we wouldn't have been cruel to them. Perhaps we wouldn't have sent them into the desert. But the outcome would still have been decisive, 1-0 to Isaac. But what we've got is so much more subtle, so much more uncertain in a way, all open-ended. You can't guess by the end of verse 21 how this will conclude. And the truth, of course, is that you and I today, very much today, are living out this conclusion because here is the answer in these verses to Pastor Sap. Pastor Wayne Sap. For he it is who, with his church, put the Koran on trial and burned it, provoking the unrest that has seen 16 people killed in the last couple of days in Kandahar and Mazar-i-Sharif in Afghanistan. From the desert in Beersheba, where we read this story today, travel east to Baghdad and as far east again you still not quite come to Kandahar or mazar i sharif Yet Ishmael's nation lives on, first in the Arabs and then in the Islamic traditions that come out of them in the 7th century. Dear Pastor Sap, do you suppose that listened to, cared for, promised, graced has died out? If you are so delighted that you have been chosen to be among the people of God and you should be delighted, are you in danger of making the wall so high around the people of God's choosing that all others are marked as forever outside his will and purpose, outside his delight? And if we say it to Pastor Sapp, can we say it more closely at home? When we held our recent Arab World Mission Weekend, Uh, an email came to John Malcolm organizing it, criticizing us for basically being nice about Arabs. Yet this story reminds us that God can truly be with others, not in the same way as he is with us, but working out the difference can sometimes be very challenging, The ways in which God is with Ishmael are also a help to us when we come to consider the place of the Jews. We often find that troubling, uneasy. And we have to say then the Jews occupy a a peculiar territory of their own. But not if this is true. This story tells us that the Jews are not alone. It is a great thing to be a child of grace, as St. Paul will tell us but God's love for all others, Jews and Arabs. And therefore, if it's for two people, it has to be for all. That love is strong and attentive and gracious. And that's what I meant when I said at the start that this affects tomorrow and who we are tomorrow, who we meet tomorrow. We may well not, in Norwich, meet many Arabs or even Jews. Some of us will, but not many. And the first point to bring out of this passage is that we do not go into the world tomorrow as into a place where God is not with us sort of bringing him with us. When we decide whether and how to speak of God to those we meet tomorrow, we're not to say to ourselves, well, I might speak or I might not. It doesn't really matter. Rather, we are speaking to those who, whether they know it, are already precious in God's sight. God is watching to discover whether, as others are in the desert, we will do his work as his children. Will we, as in verse 19 here, open their eyes? Will we give them water? I fear that often enough we see others in two categories. Well, they're nice enough, you know, and normal people like us. And then we think of them as those who couldn't understand, who aren't quite worth the sweat of working up that big conversation. But the truth is they are precious and loved and heard, like you and like me. So what then is really the difference between Ishmael and Isaac? Is it simply random? One ended up in the desert, one ended up in the fertile plains, one ended up poor, one ended up rich. No. That's the second point to come out of this passage. There is a real difference. And the difference tells us how to live today. How to lift our voices and our hands in praise to the God of Abraham. Because Isaac means he laughs. St. Paul understood that. And we'll go to St. Paul in a couple of weeks. it might be next week. When we summarize where we've got to by seeing what Paul does with it all. Ishmael stands, and can stand still, for all that we plan and purpose. He is born when Sarah tries to force God's hand. The promise isn't coming to pass, so take Hagar, my slave, my maid. He, according to our story today, he is married at the behest of his mother, outside the promise. She finds him a wife in Egypt. Now, I said that the script editor is Jesus Who has a relevant story? He tells the story we know of a brother who stayed home and was dutiful, who made his plans, executed his purposes, was a good boy. But to live in the world of planning and competence is a challenge. We're forced to recognize, and it's crushing, that we can never plan enough, we are never enough in control. We always have to feel separated from the source of love and goodness because we know in some deep place that we can never quite earn it. It's no surprise to learn, as I had not known until we had the Arab world mission, that for all the work that most of the Arab world, if they're Islamic, puts into the relationship with God, the final outcome is uncertain. That's what happens with that kind of religion. And that it should be so is not outside God's intention. He wants us confronted with a model in which even though God may hear and God may listen, it is not enough. But Isaac means he laughs. Isaac is gift, all gift. Isaac is wonder, all wonder. Everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Sarah says, Isaac is the son unlooked for, much like the son found when he was lost, alive when he was dead. Isaac is the son running down the road, the son you thought you'd never see again. Tears and laughter and wonder, because this isn't the way it was expected to end. This isn't the way the script was supposed to run. Isaac means he laughs, and that's you and that's me. God forgive us when we behave as Ishmaels, as though the life we celebrate were from our planning and our determining and our intention. There's a note on your green sheet this week about the potential dropping of religious education from the new English baccalaureate. I'll sign that petition. We must do what we can. But I so dislike it when I hear stories of religious education lessons on rituals, and all faiths are treated alike. Or on ministers and symbols. And all faiths are treated alike. Because sadly you can do that with the Christian faith. You can lump it in with all the others. You can look at our planning and our intentions and our buildings and our dog collars and, our, and the whole lot. And it can look like we are Ishmael people. Constructs of our own control and competence. But we are not. Because Isaac means He laughs. Faith in Jesus Christ is faith in the Son, unlooked for. Faith in the Son, a wonder, a gift. And so I simply have this to ask in the second point as we finish. Do you laugh? Can you sing, breathe on me breath of God as we shall in a minute, and laugh? Can you look back on your life and say, this is amazing that I, even I, should be so unlooked for the child of God? That I so ordinary should be a wonder and a gift. I fear we're held back from that recognition, from that laughter by a simple sense of responsibility that if we if we lived with it, if we acknowledged it, if that was how we were deep inside, then we cannot but overflow, just as laughter cannot be held in. If we are a gift, then in the process we are made a gift. And to whom finally is Isaac a gift? The answer is to Ishmael. We are in those times when the name of Jesus, all gift, all wonder, God with us, is to be on our lips as the offering to a world that will accept any amount of religion as planning and competence and control and determination. But we're supposed to be there as those who have news that we are freed from all of that, as those who actually couldn't care less whether we're in a religious education uh, curriculum or not. Actually, there's a part of me that says it does matter, so I will sign it. But part of me thinks it shouldn't matter. Because life may be grim, but it is our life, eternal life, and it is gift. So whatever else we do today, whatever else we are today and tomorrow, and the days that come after, let us laugh. Let's close with a prayer, but please stand to sing it. Breathe on me, breath of God.